Does your bike need some love? Shimano Original Replacement Parts are the best way to renew the original function of your Shimano-equipped bike. Available online and at your local retailer. The Pace Line is supported by LEL Cycling. Crafted in California, the LEL brand combines the latest technology with cycling tradition to deliver an experience that is authentically California. View their retail gear and custom program at lelcycling.com. For MedKite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I am Celine Yeager, and with me is my co-host, Patrick Brady. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. And uh, before we start, Patrick, how are you? I'm curious how your treatments are going. You know, like, like it's been, we, we took a little break. We'll talk about that yeah. coming up. But, you know, I know you've been writing about it on RKP, because I've been following, and uh there continue to be some pretty epic travels into the K-hole, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> I'm wondering if you have any overall impressions of how you think it's going for you before we go into this. It's really good. Yeah? It's really good. Yeah. Um, I mean, so I'm three treatments in, and honestly... This after- is ketamine for people who might not have missed, who might have missed right, the past. Right, right. Uh, I'm I'm using ketamine lozenges. This is pharmaceutical grade stuff made by a company. What do they taste like? Mango Sorry. and numbness. <laughs> well, it's an anesthetic, so <laughs> Okay. I mean, yes, please continue. <laughs> why they bother to put a flavor in there because it's like, oh, that's kind of fruity and then oh, no, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Uh so yeah, you let them sit in your mouth for a very long time. Uh, first mm-hmm. time was 12 minutes. I'm this next one. I'm going to do. Time. Yeah. And you're supposed to swish it around in your mouth the whole time. Uh, once they melt, just keep it in right. your mouth. So this next time it's going to be like 18 minutes. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, but the longer it's in your mouth, it, the better it gets absorbed through your mucosa. Yep. And right. so the more powerful the experience Oh, okay. So the, after the first two, um, I went off for a week to, to go do what my poll will be about this bike tour. Uh huh. And I will say that I've had to spend some time thinking about my new emotional set point. If Hmm. me with only moderate depression on a 10 scale I'm maybe a five or sometimes a four. Mm -hmm. I'd have to say my new sort of day-to-day overall emotional set point is a maybe six and a half to a seven. Yeah. It's, it's really remarkable, really surprising. I've had to ask myself at times, you know, is this the ketamine talking? Uh, And then I, I stop and I think about, it's like, well, the stuff hasn't been in my system for you know, X number of days. I don't have, you know, a controlled substance in me. And so whatever I'm seeing is a pro a product of what the ketamine has done to my brain. Yes. Yes. And, and that's the point. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's why we're here. Yes. Bingo. And I, it is such a change, such a welcome change. I mean, like, I've had people comment on just how confident I am. I, I don't even know what to do with that. Because huh. when I'm, whatever confidence I'm showing, I'm, this isn't a fake it till you make it thing. I'm not putting on a show of being a more confident guy than I am. I'm just doing what is currently coming natural to me. And, you know, if this is, if this is what three treatments can do for me and I'm looking down the barrel of, you know, possibly as many as another dozen, um, Mm -hmm. of course, I think I'm probably going to see, you know, the biggest changes up front, but right. A point of diminishing returns. I would expect like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I, you know, absolutely. This has been tremendous so far. And long term, the only real question in my head is how I maintain this. I figure mental health has got to be a lot like physical health. So Mm -hmm. if I want to be a fast guy, I have to ride my bike. And if I want to be a healthy guy, I got to do something. I'm not sure what that something is. I would imagine and I this is just me speculating because I obviously am not a neuroscientist. But from what I have read and and written about and just sort of intuitively would think is that, okay, so your brain, we talked about how your brain burns pathways like skiing kind of thing. So, I mean, if this is allowing, it's just opening more trails, you know, like some of those trails might be closed, Mm -hmm. you know, before. So if it opens more trails, you have to use those trails, right? Yep. Or they'll get snowed over again. But um, so I would imagine through the therapeutic part of this, like the, the talk therapy and whatever else, uh, there might be some uh, mental rehearsing or practice that you have to make sure that you continue to do to keep the trails open. But that would be my suspicion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I certainly I agree with that. Um, I wonder if there is going to be a need for periodic tune ups with psychedelics. Yeah, I, that I don't know. You right. know, six months a year. Right. Uh, Maybe. You know, I've come this far. I'm not going to question what the best practice is. Uh, Just lead me and I'll give it a try. This has been a very welcome improvement. And, you know, I got to say, this is in the face of like some bumpy stuff still going on in my life. Oh, yeah. 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 (laughs) So if I can be this good here. Holy cow. That's awesome. Yeah. No, I mean, I was super surprised to see they just sort of mail order you a bunch of those <laughs> lozenges. And, like, it's a, it's a, it's a trust. It's a, it's a, it seems to be an exercise in trust in medicine. But Well, it was a courier, yeah. but <laughs> still, you know. Uh, yeah. It, what a thing. Um, and it turns out, I, like, at first when all this was being discussed, I was like, where am I going to go to do this? Cause I was right. kind of concerned. It's like, do I want to be at home? I don't know that I want to be at home. Well, who, what friend would have me while I'm busy flipping out on a couch? <laughs> uh, and it turns out being on my oh, so comfy new bed that I reviewed a, a few weeks back, <laughs> hanging out there with my little mind shade and some music that I've adored for 30 or 40 years. This is working out just fine. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Well, 
Yes, no, no doubt. Good to hear. Uh, now, now for a pull of another kind. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I did the uh, this past Sunday was the bicycling fall classic. Mm. Uh, yeah, which seventh year maybe? I, I'm it's sort of, it's up there. I can't quite remember. I think it was seventh. It would it didn't occur last year because I should note bicycling doesn't run it anymore. Um, <laughs> when Hearst bought Rodale, they didn't really have an interest in that element of the business, you know, in running events. So they sold it to the same organization that now puts on Bat and Kill in New York. Okay. State. Um, so I did the 90 mile route. There's also a, uh, that's kind of all the same. There's also a 50, a 25, and even a 10 mile version, you know, which is made for true sort of, you know, like introductory into the sport kind of people. Great. Um, it starts outside the velodrome and it finishes with a lap around the track, which is always kind of cool for people who have never been on a velodrome. Neat. Um, yeah, the course is really, really beautiful. Um, it's it's also pretty hard. It, there's over six thousand feet of climbing, and 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 some of that comes at you East Coast style, just sort of <laughs> like you know, it's it's only flat for short stretches. Um, but it's always really fun for me to see the roads that I train on and. And honestly, sometimes don't see anymore, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean, yep. through the eyes of, yeah, through the eyes of other people. Because as I'm riding with them, I look around like with fresh eyes. I'm like, it is really beautiful. You know, it is. This is this is really special. Uh, you know, it was, a, it was a pretty windy day, which we haven't had much wind, but it was definitely windy uh, the whole way. Kept waiting for that tailwind that I think happened maybe for three miles somewhere towards the end. <coughs> and uh Otherwise, it was hard to ask for better weather at the last day of September. It was, you know, in the 80s. Maybe it got a little hot, hot actually at the end. But it was, you know, many of the years I've done it, it's been 54 and raining. So I was, yeah, which is like the worst of the worst, the worst. So always I was I was not going to complain if it got a little a little hot. Um, It was not without some pretty serious bumps, however, that I've been sort of thinking about and hearing about and seeing on social media. Uh, I don't really know what happened, but there were some major snafus with the food and water uh, deliveries. Yeah. Uh oh. Uh, that left multiple aid stations awfully unstocked, uh, if stocked at all. I, so, a lot of the 90 mile field, you know, which is the biggest day, <laughs> you know, we left pretty early. We left it, I think it was eight. And most uh, in need of, of food out there, let's just say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in general, that's that's true. Uh, encountered not much more than water, fig bars, and saltines uh, at some of the aid stations. It was the funny thing is, is the first aid station was at mile fourteen. They usually have them like every fifteen miles, which is mm-hmm. kind of it's it's excessive, but it's nice, right? Um, so there was one at fourteen, which I would never stop at, but I was you know like I was <laughs> determined to just be to to just sort of have a different kind of day where I did stop and talk to people and took pictures and did all that kind of stuff. So I stopped. Honey Stinger was a sponsor. I grabbed a couple things, topped off a bottle. I really didn't need much at that point, but I'm so glad I stopped (laughs) because at mile 30, literally there was like people saying the volunteers were out there warning us. So like, there's nothing but water and mechanics and, you know, our medics. It wasn't even mechanic medic. And there was a little prayer tent set up (laughs) because it was in a church parking lot. Which was kind of hilarious because I was like, well, I'll take prayers that I make it to the next aid station because, oh, you know, um, and thankfully there was water. 
There was supposed to be another aid station somewhere in the 40s. It was not there. Uh, there were a couple apologetic women with cowbells. And then we got to mile 57, which is pretty far into the day. <laughs> and there were two loaves of bread on the table with a plastic knife and a jar of jelly and peanut butter that had not yet been opened. A jug of water, some saltines. I was bad. So, um, yeah, it, it, it was not good. It was, mm. Things were not awesome. But there was a little uh, pumpkin festival happening next to that one. And some people just rode over to the pumpkin festival and got like banana bread and coffee, which, you know, if you had money, you could do. I, I, I did not. <laughs> well, yeah, the last time I took money with me on an organized ride was, I don't know, 1957. Yeah, exactly. I was like, do you take Apple Pay? Um, anyway. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I, this is not my first rodeo. I had some stuff in my pockets. I'm happy I stopped at 14. I know how to survive on a couple things of water, you know. I, it would have been nice to see some electrolytes along the way, but it was just plain water, too, at that point. Um, yeah, I learned that Gatorade and other lovely things showed up later. But it's still that's a lot of the 90 mile field because I was not drilling it at the pointy pointy end. I was maybe mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, a quarter, a third of the way in or something. Um, anyway, when we got back to the velodrome, things actually did not improve much in that regard. Uh, in years prior, there used to be food trucks and lots of drink options. And this year, not so much. There was one concession stand with some burgers and sandwiches and bags of sour cream and onion ruffles, which I don't like sour cream and onions, so I declined Mm. the ruffles. Um, And there were already, like, crossing menu items off the list, you know, when I was there, that they were running out. So, you know, I'm not sure. This is not me trying to bash. Things happen. You know, it is what it is. Like, trucks break down, miscommunications. But, you know, these rides, it, it's billed as a premium ride and people paid $100 pre or $140 day of for this event. Uh-huh. So it's, 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 not, it's not inexpensive. Um, what I found super interesting was watching everybody's reactions to the situation, quite honestly. Like, uh-huh. there were some folks who were furious. I mean, this one guy did like an amazing sort of Instagram style story of the whole thing, <laughs> you know, just taking pictures of like barren aid stations and empty lots. And, um, and he was, he was pretty mad and I get that, you know, he like, he paid and the expected stuff, right. uh, you know, others, others more or less honestly shrug. And they were like, the route was beautiful. You know, you should always carry what you need and not rely on aid stations, you know, almost scolding the people who were angry. Expecting. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, like some said the aid stations are a big reason why they do the ride, um, which was which was also, you know, a fair and interesting take. Yeah, the course was super well marked. Giant signs. Very well marked. I as someone who gets lost all the time, I appreciate that quite a bit. (laughs) Um, You know, though, it's interesting. More of these rides are kind of inching away from that a little bit now that GPS tracks are so prevalent and everyone's got almost a wahoo or a, or a garmin um mm-hmm. you know i talked to our mutual friend brian of kermesse sport uh-huh. and you know he does the spring classics which are always marked as well as the gps but you know he said he's not marking his Oktoberfest ride that's coming up um it's smaller and it's gonna save him it's i don't know if you've ever marked a route but it, it's the, the time it's super time intensive it is amazingly time intensive yeah. Um, you know, and it's something I've seen a few gravel races moving away from as well. 
in the spirit of self-sufficiency, which, you know, and also probably not marking a course, which is a giant pain. Um, you know, that, that another change they made that was interesting is it used to be, well, to this time it was a timed event start to finish. So you roll over the mat in the beginning, your time starts, the clock stops on you when you roll back to the velodrome, right? Okay. Um, years passed, it was segmented. So there was only like a handful of time segments with big flags. So the rest of it made it more social and relaxed. And I definitely noticed a change there. Like people were who wanted to compete, you know, Mm -hmm. and a lot of people were there sort of in that mode. Like they, they weren't as chit chatty, you know, it was definitely more like case lines and working and that kind of stuff, at least in at that element of it. There were still people who were, who didn't care, who never would have cared, or maybe would have tried a little of the segments, but they didn't care. Mm -hmm. Um, so the, the whole, anyway, the whole thing kind of just had me musing a lot about, like, so I've done a ton of these rides. There are hundreds, thousands of organized rides, right? Centuries, yep. Fondos. Like, what exactly, what is the draw? Like, what, what are, like, what are we looking for? You know, clearly we could all just go out and do, often go out and do 50 miles or even 100 miles on our own if we wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, for me, and I imagine for most people, the biggest draw is riding new roads and different part of the state or your country that you don't usually see. And mm-hmm. you don't have to put any work into doing like someone has ferreted out all the garbage and is giving you the best you hope, you know, of like what that area has to offer. Yeah. Um, you know, but what about the other stuff? Like, how important is it not to have to carry all your stuff like the aid station thing? For me, that's huge. Like, uh, yeah. I hate schlepping more than I need. So knowing I have stocked aid stations is a huge draw. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It can go bad if things go pear-shaped, but, you know, like, it's probably always a good idea to carry a little bit. Um, how essential is route marking? And I don't know anymore. I mean, like, I've been on rides where literally some locals have painted over all the course markings. Like have sabotaged mm-hmm. the whole damn thing or turn them around. Yep. Or the wind blows and they get blown over. So I don't know. Meeting new people, you know, I mean, there's always like different people at these events. And a lot of times for whatever reason, I end up going alone, you know, which honestly, I always dread the morning of. But then like it ends up being kind of a treat. You know, I get to mm-hmm. see and talk to different people. Um, so I, I don't know. Like, what are your thoughts? Like what? I don't know how many of these kind of quote unquote organized. I mean, obviously charity rides are a different thing and people are drawn to those sometimes for the charities, not always, but like, what is the big, what's most important to you when you're going into an organized ride? Well, when I'm choosing something strictly for my own entertainment and I'm not there, you know, invited to write about the event, but I picked it out on a calendar and said, I'm doing this for me. It's a matter of, this is going to give me a chance to do a course that I would not otherwise know how to pick out. I don't know right. the area. I don't know what the good roads are. And so they've just solved that problem for me. And then on top of that, if I don't know those roads, I don't know where I'm going to fuel up. And so having aid right. stations takes right. care of the logistics of, well, what do I do? And this, this was a, a really interesting point that was illustrated for me during, shall we say, the debates that used to take place among the RKP readership about Levi's Grand Fondo, which is this coming weekend. There are people who are still perfectly outraged that Levi Leipheimer, a convicted doper, 
uh, <laughs> has has this event. There's also a misperception that he's making bank off of it. He doesn't he doesn't recognize a single penny off of the ride himself. Okay, all the proceeds, you know, everything that you would classify as profit goes to charity in the area. So one of the things that would turn up in comments was people saying, well, I'm just going to go do the ride on my own sometime. I don't need to pay that money and, you know, line Levi's pockets. Right. Right. Well, you hear that even if it's not put on by somebody that someone objects to, though. Sure. Like, that's the whole like, I'm just and you hear that here, not to interrupt your train of thought, but a lot of people are like, well, why would I pay to ride roads? I always ride. I'll just come and ride with you. And I'm like, eh, you know, that's not, eh, that's not yeah, cool. Not quite kosher. The funny thing is with Levi's and I had to, you know, put in the comments and write to people. Well, you know, sure. Bully, knock yourself out. But to try to do the course, the, the standard 103 mile century course of Levi's Grand Fondo, just as one, for instance, to do that on your own, that's going to take some pretty strategic planning because once you leave Casadero and get on King Ridge, it's a long, long time before you're going to be anywhere where you can get more water. Right. You're going to be in Jenner and that's a long way to go without any support. And then after Jenner, you won't see anything until Occidental. That's not so bad. That's pretty doable. But there really aren't many opportunities to right. fuel up on that course. Getting to Jenner, or rather getting to Casadero, you pass through Occidental. But yeah, there are just very few opportunities to pull off and buy some Gatorade or a little Debbie snack cake. So for me, those are the two big things. You know, show me roads that I wouldn't find on my own and make sure I don't bonk. To me, that is. That is essentially the whole of why you pay for a ride. And if the food is missing, <laughs> I, I mean, I have bonked on rides because they ran out of food. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I, I have too. That was my first charity ride. I, they, uh, and I was so, so new. I, uh, I was doing it with Dave. It was our first ride, actually, I think, that we had done like that. And this is, it's just so funny. It was so long ago, but. The lunch truck run, ran, ran, like broke down. So, you know, it was an MS-150 and I, I, you know, I don't know. We were doing the 100 miles of the first day and it's probably halfway through 60 miles was lunch. And all they had was pretzel sticks and York peppermint patties. Like, <laughs> they didn't have, because the, the subway truck ran. So I was like, okay. And I had like a cliff bar in my pocket or something. I bonked my brains out i didn't even know what it was like I, I asked him i was starting to come unglued and i didn't even know what this sensation was and i was just like how much further and he said 10 miles to make me feel better and i burst into tears <laughs> i just oh. started crying <laughs> <He> was, <laughs> it was like 10 Whoa. miles <laughs> i think that now it's just like oh my god <laughs> but wow. yeah yeah I think I had like six pieces of pizza when we finally pulled into Kutztown. I was so hungry. But, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, course. it is kind of a big deal, especially like I was very, very like I had always ridden and all that stuff, but I had never done an organized thing like that where you just kept riding and there, you know, you didn't stop. You know, I mean, that was just sort of that was very new to me on a bicycle. 
Mm-hmm. And I probably did not eat appropriately along the way. I wasn't even thinking about it. I was talking to people and running my mouth. And um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was that was a long time ago, but it, it still cracks me up. I mean, I literally I just started crying. Oh. <laughs> it shows you how much I was bonking. Right. I just didn't think I would be able to turn a pedal stroke over. I, I was just like, I had no idea how I'd make it. Yep. Yep. It's been a long time since I've had one of those bonks and boy, they're... that is the worst diet I've ever had and have not had anything like that since. But that was. Oh, I'm, wow. I'm not going to claim that I haven't had multiple bonks that, you know, <laughs> put me in the cave. Yeah. Oof, well, yeah, but now it's funny, like as soon as because there are to, to be clear, if I'm it happens more in races now. But there will be times when all of a sudden my self-talk turns really negative and I feel really weepy. Like I, and I'm like, oh, you just need food. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's okay. Just, just reach in your pocket and get something I'm like, ah, oh, look at that. I'm so much better. I, I should probably give myself that advice more often. <laughs> yeah, no, you really should. It's amazing how well it works. Uh, um, huh. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, the fit chick did. Live, live and learn. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but it's but it's funny. Like I took it, but it's hard. Like I took at that aid station where they just had I was like, I am not going to make my own peanut butter sandwich. I'm just not doing it. So I just grabbed a crappy hard granola bar. And you know how hard that is to eat? Like, yeah, yeah, I I, do. (laughs) But I got desperate enough. I'm like, okay, I'll just put it in my mouth and let it dissolve. I mean, it got to that (laughs) point (laughs) because I desperately need something. And you don't want to spend the calories chewing it. Well, and also because it's so dry, you're just like, you can't even because it was so hot. I was almost out of water. So I wanted to spare it. Oh, <laughs> like my survival. Yeah. yeah, that's uh, but, yeah, that's a different sort of thing. Yeah. You know, and all this makes the, the DKXL Dirty Kansas Super Long Edition all the more interesting because there are no stops for them. They're hitting, you know, they've got to bring cash. There's like a hundred miles between aid, like anywhere that they can find a store. There's no aid stations. Like yeah. It's all convenience between, stores and gas stations. Yeah. Yeah. You're on your own in that prairie in the dark for a hundred miles. Good luck. I cannot even, I have such respect for people who can logistically put, pull that together. I, well, I and just, then you're rolling into a convenience store. They don't have cliff bars more than likely. You know, they don't you don't want one, though, do you think like you want whatever they have? You probably want more. You want like the Scrapple sandwich or whatever they got. I don't know. Like, it's not I don't know. The the six day old hot dog still rolling. I'll on the take rotisserie. it. You no. bet. Okay. At that point, I bet you really do want that six day year old hot dog. It's, it's hot. It's in a warm bun. Maybe who cares? Like, put a bunch of relish on it. You, I think you know more about that end of the stick than I do. Yeah, I uh, trust me. <laughs> it looks really good at that point. Uh, I'm going to take your word for it. And hopefully I can just go with that instead of find out firsthand. <laughs> but, but yeah, so, so it was uh, it did. Uh, it was interesting. It, it was a, it was an interesting I was a, I mean, it ended up it was a beautiful day. It was a fun day. Uh, most people seemed in reasonably good spirits afterwards, despite it all. But uh, it, it did make me think like these things are pretty important. <laughs> these things like when you're talking about an organized ride, there's some elements that just really have to be in place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're not optional. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would Unless be different. Unless you tell people they're, they're optional. Right. Right. If you tell right. people bring all your own food. Okay, fine. Well, then you're not going to charge them a hundred bucks. I wouldn't think. 
Perhaps. But what are you paying for? You're paying for them to put that's we could go on about that all day. Like, I think sure. there's so many hidden things that people don't know what you're paying for. Right. Mm-hmm. Like when someone puts on a ride, the just a general ride. I mean, just the mapping and the thought, like it's, it's a lot of man hours. It's a lot of unseen man hours that people don't see that go into putting on an event like that for sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, having flaggers out cause they did have flaggers at dangerous intersections, you know, having a medic, all the, all the stuff that it's just maybe even unseen or unthought about like that kind of stuff. Just it all adds up. Totally. Yeah. Very much. And I did talk to some of a couple of people said, if you can do me a favor, Paceline listeners came up and said, please tell the audience to register ahead of time for these kind of rides. And I, that might be a whole other poll for another thing, but we all wait till the last minute and then nobody knows how many people are actually coming. You know, like it's just like makes it really hard. I think it makes it even harder for event organizers to make it right, you know, and get everything they need when they don't know. Two weeks out, there's 50 people. Then all of a sudden they end up with 300, you know, like yeah. three days. It yeah. happens all the time. People well, wait, is the weather going to be good? You know? Yeah. yeah. More and more, there are event organizers who aren't permitting day of registration yeah. so that they can and I get don't blame them. Right. Yeah. I don't blame them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. You need to know. You need to be able to plan. And uh, it's, it's a, a reasonable outcome. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Wow. What a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Well, what I'm going to share will be a little different. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, we are going to take a break for our sponsor, Shimano, and we will be back with a trip down California's coast. At Shimano, we love riding and we know you do too. As a small repayment for all the joy your bike has brought your life, we encourage you to maintain your bike regularly. Genuine Shimano replacement parts will keep your Shimano-equipped bike running smoothly. Whether your bike is built with 105, XTR, or our new gravel group, GRX, a well-maintained bike will operate better and go faster. Worn out a chain? Consider that a badge of honor. You've been riding a lot. Does it sound like metal on metal when you hit your rim brakes? That's a sign it's time for new brake shoes. What if your disc brakes don't feel as crisp as they used to? Cool, you've been going fast. Give them a bleed. Does your chain skip on smaller cogs? You're using all your gears, and now your cassette is shot. Is that old saddle creaking? It may be fatigued because of all the miles you've put in. Consider a saddle from Shimano's Pro line of components. And what about your feet? Cleats can and do wear out, especially the right cleat if you're a cyclocross racer. Whether it is the plastic cleat on a road shoe or metal SPD cleat, they can and do wear out. To keep that love burning bright, show your bike a little TLC and take it by your nearest Shimano dealer to keep it running just like when it was new. All right, we are back with the pace line, uh, the podcast on two wheels. And Patrick, tell me about that trip. So when we missed recording last week, that was all my fault, everybody. Okay. <laughs> I planned to go do a charity ride, the California Coast Classic, which benefits the Arthritis Foundation, and then, allegedly, be back in plenty of time to record our show. I've had a standing invitation now for three years to do this event, but in the past, it always started the day after Interbike, and I needed to get back to my kids and recover from Interbike, 
but no more Interbike. So I got to go. The ride is eight days, 525 miles from San Francisco to Los Angeles. And uh, I'm always the guy doing revelations. I suppose I should mention that I've never actually ridden from San Francisco to L.A. in all the time I've lived here. So we can say I was overdue. The event starts on a Saturday and finishes on a Saturday. So even though it's an eight day trip, it's really only five days away from real life. And I know you know this because you've done it. I have. Yeah. Uh, Most folks camp, uh, but they always make sure to be near a hotel so that those who want a real bed can get a great night's sleep. There's a catering company that does an amazing job of breakfast and dinner. And then each day there are two or three rest stops for food and water. My plan, simple enough, was to do the first four days and then break off at Cambria, having seen most of the really great roads. (laughs) Then a funny thing happened. I got captured. Not kidnapped, mind you, but there is something unusual about this event. I've done bunches of charity rides and at least a few multi-day charity rides. Something about the depth to which arthritis affects our family and friends, not to mention how pervasive the disease is, combined with the small group, just 200 so riders, and then a Mm -hmm. couple dozen staff and volunteers. It made the event really, truly, unusually intimate. There's no other way to say, say it, but this ride had a special sauce to it. I was flat out unable to leave after we arrived in Cambria. And amazingly, <laughs> they really rallied. The folks responsible for me uh, worked to figure out the logistics so that I could actually continue with the ride. There were some car things and that sort of stuff and a, a plane flight for one of the PR people. There, was a, there were a bunch of moving wow. pieces that had to be dealt with so, for me to be able to stay. But they did it. And we got all that covered. And then it was like, okay, where do I sleep? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because yeah, we don't have a tent right right and there there weren't a bunch of additional rooms booked suddenly but one of the uh one of the writers that i met uh offered me the spare bed in his room so i stayed celine the guy who let me stay in his room captain pete who you met a few years ago when you did the <laughs> ride and I didn't get to meet John Grundman, his buddy, but he was the guy who stole your bike to wash it. <laughs> so <laughs> Everywhere I go, high. people want to clean my bike. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that is the uh, Elliot objective correlative to uh, you mentioning your bike is usually kind of a, a little messy. Lucky dirt. I, we, we, let's call it. Fine. <laughs> I like it. So here's the thing. I didn't stay because the ride was so pretty, though it was. So it is. I didn't stay because the food was so good, though it was. I didn't stay because the rest stops were so well stocked, though they were. I stayed because of the people. I met some really wonderful people who I just had the best time riding with. We'd get anywhere from two to five riders together, and I'd roll along on the front providing a draft. And then we chat and pedal easy on the climbs. I played draft horse for seven of the eight days. And the only reason it was only seven of the eight days was because I didn't meet these folks until day two. I, I've spent a lot of time thought, thinking about this. As I mentioned earlier, when we 
we're talking about the ketamine, I've had to ask myself at times, is this the ketamine talking or is this, you know, new, new improved me? And it was new improved me. I, it wasn't, you know, the, the the drug didn't make this event better than it actually is, but it allowed me to see it with eyes that weren't clouded by something else. And Mm. it also makes me kind of wonder like how much more in love I would have been with other events I'd done in the past. That's fair. But truly this ride was really something I've, I've again, I've done a bunch of charity rides and this was unlike anything else I've done. It was just remarkable. The people were awesome. Everybody there upon finding out that it was my first year would ask me immediately, are you coming back next year? They all, so many people do. Yeah. Like, I think that's part of what makes that ride so special. I, it is a very different ride. I'll agree with that. And it, what surprised me a lot about it was how, and I don't mean this to come, it's going to come across as maybe a slight and I don't mean it that way. It has how, um, green a lot of the people were yeah were yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know there were a lot of people who uh this was a really big challenge for them you know and um they spread it out and it you know I, i'm used to doing things that are just a beat down right like they're very long days over and over and over again and this was uh manageable you know certainly yeah. it was challenging but manageable but for people who never did anything like this it's truly a challenge and um, but it does seem like a lot of people, it was like a family reunion for a bunch of people. It felt like, like it definitely felt like a lot of people, they do it all the time. And the same, I had the same thing. Well, you're coming back, right? And I'm like, yeah. well, you know, probably not. <laughs> and, you know, I read one of your posts because I had no idea about arthritis. I was so ignorant about rheumatoid arthritis is embarrassing honestly like mm-hmm. i did not know what a systemic disease that was i had no idea yeah um, me too mm-hmm. it was very eye-opening to me uh so i learned a lot that way and you know seeing those kids and seeing people and how it affects your eyes and everything i was like wow okay i am now educated a little bit about this and yeah it was just cool to see people uh, it seemed like a lot of people came with groups or friends or coworkers, yep. you know, people came in little, so that adds a, that adds something too. I think like there's a, a festive feel to it, a mm-hmm. more communal feel to it because of that. Um, I, yeah, I definitely had the, the exact same experience that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I, the, the team aspect certainly played into things like there's a team from Amgen, uh, there every year. And right. one of the people in our little sextet, we were riding with this woman, Noreen. She used to work for Amgen, no longer works for them, still has lots of friends there, rode with the Amgen team. But again, like what you mentioned, she's a newer rider and doesn't quite yet have the strength to ride with most of the riders in the Amgen team. So she wouldn't see much of them. Well, once, once we got our little Peloton lit together, they started seeing more of her. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, no, that's great. And that's super cool. It was just, yeah, I, this is one of those things where, as I wrote about, you got to be, or at least I need to be kind of careful because I, I hate the humble brag, but relative to the basic population there, I'm a reasonably strong writer and it became a real joy for me to just play draft horse to people. Mm-hmm. 
give them a draft to ride off of, find a find a pace that didn't keep them in the red zone, but was a little little quicker than what they do on their own. And we'd just ride around all day doing that. And it was a joy for me. It was a way for me to approximate something like service or charity. Uh, since I wasn't raising any money for the ride. And that was certainly, uh, you know, that became a point of embarrassment for me. Oh, I know. I didn't either. I had the same feeling. I had the same exact feeling. People yeah. are raising tens of thousands of dollars for these children with eye problems. <laughs> and then on arthritis, I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. But it made me appreciate, like, again, all of it. You know, And just, just how deep. I think they... that's why they invite you, because a lot of people just don't know. They mm-hmm. just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But I have to say, you're making me feel super bad about myself. Like, because no. I, <laughs> well, just because you're talking about your charitability and I was just a giant jerk. Like, so it was the, it was the total opposite experience. There was, there was a guy there who, um, who, lo- who took relish in beating everybody. Like he always wanted to be the first one back to camp and he really okay. liked, he, I beat him every time. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> and and everyone was kind of cheering for me to do so because he was kind of a little bit full of himself and stuff. So anyway, um, so I was not as charitable as you. But you were providing mission. a service to others. <laughs> I was in my own way. I mean, you were giving anyway. them a certain satisfaction. So. Yes, yes. All right, we can cheer that. Yeah. It was pretty funny. The thing you said about the family reunion, one of the guys who's been there any number of years said, you know what it is about this ride? It's like a family reunion. But you oh, want to go. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, there's that. There is that. Yes. Just the, you know, just the and, nicest bunch of people. And if they invite me back, I'm probably going to go. I'm, yeah, the, um, mm. the, uh, the, uh, Big Sur was amazing. Like, just for Big Sur alone. Like, mm-hmm. staying in there was just amazing. Well, and then they found, you know, there was camping in, uh, one of the what Pfeiffer State Park, they so they did camping there, and then just up the road a mile, there was a lodge where everybody who was going to stay someplace else had, plus the cabins that they had in the state park. I was in a cabin. Okay, and yeah. so you know we had that opportunity there in Big Sur, so you rode into Big Sur on one day and out on the next instead of having yep. to cover the whole of it in a single day, and breaking it up like that was, you know, one, you, you had the opportunity to go a little slower, see more sites, have a better time that way. It allowed you to go through 17 mile drive and all of that coming out of Monterey. Which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The ghost trees and you know, all that. And so, because if you're going to do all of Big Sur in a single day, you really kind of need to avoid 17 mile drive because that's going to add just boku miles. Right. Right. And so, you know, we were able to get up nice and fresh the next morning and had a few climbs, crossed Bixby Bridge, you know, a few more rollers, then got to the two sisters. And in getting to those two big climbs, which are really the tough point of riding through Big Sur, and they don't come until reasonably near the end of what constitutes Big Sur, a lot of people were pretty intimidated by that. And Mm -hmm. we got there. It wasn't crazy hot. It was sunny and pretty. But people were just having the best time. And so the course design for this thing, I have to praise for just how carefully thought through it is. Sure, it's marked well, 
but it's the way it's planned and the way the rest stops are placed and everything. People who are so new to cycling can get through this. And that's really a surprising achievement. Eight days of riding for somebody who may only have been in the sport two years. Yeah. Come on. I mean, I was riding with a guy who he still had like the reflectors on his bike. Mm -hmm. I mean, he like he almost literally just bought his bike. He was very good. He was coming from another sport, but um, yeah, the only part and they, they took care of that too. I can't remember what day it was, but there was one day on a very busy highway uh-huh. um, and they actually shuttled people who were not comfortable riding. It was maybe a Gaviota. Yeah. Gaviota. It wasn't a big stretch, but it was mm-hmm. like big trucks going super fast and the right past you on the shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was an option with us. They they devised a really great way to ride it through. They had some cones set up and some police. Yeah, out. I was fine with it. But yeah, I could see yeah. it being harrowing if you're not. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I had never ridden some of those stretches before because uh, it's just never OK otherwise. But they had yeah. done an awful lot of work to get everybody through there safely. And speaking of new, I need to give a shout out to this one fella, Amit, who was on the ride. When he started, when he started the event, it was something like his 11th ride on a bicycle ever. That's bold. Yeah. By the time we'd finished it eight days later, he was still south of two dozen rides. (laughs) The dude was amazing. That's you awesome. know, just amazing. And his buddies that he was there, Vish and some other guys, just the nicest, gentlest bunch of people, you know, always smiles somehow, you know, took, understood the sport well enough to take good enough care of themselves. Nobody bonked even once. It wow. was, yeah, just such a really lovely bunch of people. I've spent way too much time at the sharp, pointy, fast end of the bunch. And what is really sustaining me as a rider now, what's really bringing me a lot of joy is beginning to spend more time with other folks who haven't been chasing that, you know, that podium and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I had such a good time. I just met so many great people. I can't possibly say enough nice things about it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It was great. Oh, And now I've got, what is it? 360 days until the next one. (laughs) If I get it, if, if I get invited, you know, I I respect that, like, you know, you want different media outlets in, you know, they've had me once. There's a good chance they're not going to ask. It's okay. I don't see me going out and raising that kind of money. Uh, I'm just, I'm a little too shy for that, but man, the, by the way, they raised $1.1 million. 200 ish people. I, <laughs> what a staggering wow. figure. Yeah. That is a staggering. Yeah. And I mean, there are only a few people who raised like $40,000. So that's, yeah, that's a lot of work to get through there. Yeah. So holy cow. Well done. <laughs> yeah. All righty. Cool. How about some paceline picks? Sure thing. Uh, mine is a book that I just started reading. It is called Rebound. Training your mind to bounce back stronger from sports injury, mm. which, you know, when when they I, I got a call, if I wanted to see a uh, review copy, it's by Carrie Jackson. Sheetle. Uh, she's a mental skills expert who specializes in psychology of sports performance. 
uh, specifically recovery of injury, no surprise, and a health and fitness journalist who I know, Cindy Kuzma, who's out of Chicago. You know, when I first got the email for it, I was like, that sounds really narrow, right? Like, that sounds like a niche of a niche. Like, I, I have a lot of sports psych books and all that stuff. I'm like, a whole book on that, huh? Um, but I was like, sure. And it's really super interesting. Like, it, it dives into all the terrible feelings that you have, like, when you feel like a little niggle coming on in the tendon or if you have a crash, like any of that, like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the shame and the fear and the anger and the regret and the loss of identity and the loss of community and the catastrophic thinking, like the whole gamut, you know, that comes wow. with when somebody gets hurt doing the thing that sustains them in many ways or yeah. maybe their livelihood, depending. Um, it's filled with a lot of first person stories and it's not just, you know, I kind of suspected it would be a lot of running because runners get hurt a lot but (laughs) it's also it's it is a lot of other kinds of injuries you know bike crashes falling from boulders rock climbing you know skiing Mm. uh uh, crossfit you know all the all the kind of stuff that is not is not just like oh i've got tendonitis but i've blown out my tendon or my tendon used to be there somewhere but maybe it's under that rock um yeah so everything (laughs) and it just the whole premise of it is, if you will, like sort of making recovery your sport. So it sort of takes recovery through the lens of how you treat your sport in general. You know, so it's got a lot of um, assessments, self-talk, uh, mental skills and drills. And it sort of takes you all the way from injury through rehab to recovery and beyond, including sort of helping you once you're back not be fearful, you know, Mm -hmm. of of Mm -hmm. doing it again. Um, You know, and as I've been reading it, it just, it keeps occurring to me, like, that it transcends, like, so many things, transcends sport itself. You know, it's, sure, it's important for sport recovery, but really any sort of loss, (laughs) losing a job, Mm. losing a relationship, I mean, you, you can go through a lot of these same stages, and I think hit the same mental obstacles. So it's, um, for people who do sport and, and, struggle with that and i i will fess up i'm a hundred percent that person like i if i'm hurt it things go catastrophic in my head pretty quickly because it's really important um so it's so yeah it's it's a really good read and uh, you know it's it is a review copy so it's not not out yet it's out october 15th but i checked and you can pre-order it pretty much you know on amazon and all that uh yeah highly recommend it if if that sounds cool Yeah. yeah I think you'd like it just because it is, I mean, you like that mental stuff very much all about that. Yeah. Uh, it sounds interesting. I will take a look for it. Okay. Well, so I've been riding a new road bike from a new bike company. Hmm. A Koei is a brand a that Koei. is, yeah, a Koei. It's what does a, that stand for? it's a river in Tennessee. It's also a little micro community outside of Chattanooga. But if somebody says a Koei and you're in, Eastern Tennessee, they're going to think the river. Okay. So Akoi, because it's out of Chattanooga, it's part of American Bicycle Group, the parent to Lightspeed and Quintana Roo. The folks at I ABG. I had one of each yeah, back in the day. Nice, nice. That's ultimate. My yeah. first triathlon I did on uh, Quintana Roo. Ah, nice. Wow. But please proceed. Yeah. Okay. So the folks at ABG decided that Lightspeed should return to its roots as a tie company and not offer carbon fiber bikes. And so they launched a Koei as a way 
to not just do carbon fiber bikes, but really affordable carbon fiber bikes. I've been riding the baseline Altegra DI2, which goes for $38.50. The baseline is built with uh, hydraulic discs, the aforementioned electronic shifting, Pan Racer Gravel King 32mm tires, and it has clearance for up to 38mm tires if you want to do some more adventurous riding. The bike feels lively, it handles with a really calm demeanor, which is nice for these Sonoma County roads uh, that I've mentioned previously. And really, it comes in under $4,000 with hydraulic discs and electronic shifting. That's, that's some pretty good planning. And I got to say, I interviewed the engineer behind these designs, Brad Devaney, on The Pull a couple of months back. Mm-hmm. Brad and I used to work in a shop in Memphis back in the late 1980s, and he's responsible for some of the most iconic tie bikes ever, like your aforementioned Lightspeed Ultimate, as well as the Vortex. And I got to say, he and the rest of the ABG team have done a terrific thing in launching a Koei. And, oh, yeah, like I said, it's a river. Uh, Yeah, it's just, it's neat. But one of the things that Brad told me was the mission behind the brand was to be able to make bikes that their own employees could afford. (laughs) Imagine that. Yeah, yeah. And they're... They're going to do things with this brand. It's going to be neat. Uh, certainly, you know, they've got that's to work. That's cool because they've yeah. kind of fallen off the, you know, they had their day, as mm-hmm. we mentioned. But that day was many days ago at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is going to be a neat thing. And, you know, for those people who run across them, they're going to have to work to get the name known. But for people who find out, this is going to be a neat new option. The baseline is just a, a really cool bike and such a fresh take on what a road bike ought to be in this day and age, given Interesting. given everything that's available out there now. Yeah. Yeah. Really well done. Cool. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of the pace line. Are you pinning on a number this weekend? I am not. Um, this is a break in pinning on numbers. Next weekend is unpaved, which I'm uh, having a hard time oh. believing is so fast approaching. Uh, and then it's Iron Cross and then a break. No, I'm lying. I don't get a break. Um, I get a break in, I get a break in November, but this weekend is a break. So I'll just do some riding and uh, catch up on some work and uh, say some prayers for good weather for Unpaved. You know? <laughs> uh, Levi's Fondo is this weekend. So I'm going to oh, be out okay, there. Cool. Uh, I, I got to confess and say I haven't decided just which route I'm going to do. I've... I'm contemplating doing the variation that I did two years ago, which was instead of climbing up King Ridge and doing all of that with everybody, climbing up Fort Ross, in which you're going to see three or four people. And then instead of climbing up Coleman Valley, doing Willow Creek, which is a, you know, that dirt road I, I like riding so much. It's like an 80 ish, 85 mile ish loop instead of the 103 Fondo. Or the 120-ish Panzer. So, there are... So, is that an official loop? Are you freelancing? It is is considered an actual freelance option. Uh, Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just looking forward to having an incredible day out there. This This is the time of year for which Sonoma County ought to be known and remembered. It doesn't get better than, like, late September and October here. So... If anybody doesn't have plans for the weekend as and is within driving distance of Sonoma County, 
you might want to think about it. Yeah. Excellent. Enjoy. So you had a piece this week about sleep and because that has become, yeah, Yeah. well, it's become a real interest of mine because my sleep has been disrupted for quite a while now. Why don't you share a few of the insights from that with us? Um, the main takeaway was that sleep is now being recognized as an independent risk factor for heart disease, you know, because what they did, and I can't, I can't remember all the details of like, how many people, et cetera, but it, it was a pretty big cross-sectional and they looked at all the variables of, uh, for heart attack, you know, diet, all the stuff. And th- when it, when they shook all the data out, still people who slept less than six or more than nine hours, you know, had considerably higher risk for heart attack. And the less it's interesting, like the less is pretty well established at this point i mean yeah. if you shortchange your sleep it, it, you you're everything sort of goes haywire you're you don't recover you get more inflammation you get more stress hormones i mean all that stuff is not cardiovascularly healthy we know that very well yep um the other part was you know is they're still trying to figure out and i actually interviewed a dr winter who i who is my go-to guy for sleep because he's really well versed in it and um you know he said that he suspects that some of those people are just long sleepers and it's not problematic. But the other ones he also suspects have, because they looked at depression, they looked at all that stuff, but it had, you had to be diagnosed. So he sort of suspects that a lot of the people who fell into that risk category for the longer sleepers just had undiagnosed problems, whether it be mm. sleep apnea, uh-huh. you know, things that are causing them to oversleep because they're not rested, maybe an undiagnosed depression. But um what, one of the things I actually kind of liked about it is I think that six to nine is a very reasonable window to shoot mm-hmm. for your health, right? Like, yeah. you know, a lot, I think a lot of people get all worked up if they get less than seven, you know, because seven to eight is optimal, whatever. But that's a, that gives you like this nice window that I think is very doable for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Well, and there was Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep, and he really yeah. broke down what you gain by sleeping those extra two hours beyond six. And right. he uh, mentally, it's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially in terms of battling uh, dementia or, or Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's later on. Your in life. lymphatic system. I mean, that's when your brain takes out the trash. We talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, something, something approaching the fear of God is what he installed in me with that. <laughs> in a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. So I've been looking at it. Well, hey, everybody, keep the those questions coming you all have been sending some great stuff if you've got an idea please drop by rkp and put a suggestion in the comments don't forget our paceline kits from primal they're up in the rkp store before we go i'd like to put in a plug for rkp's other podcast the pull the show features artisans talking about their craft in one-on-one interviews think terry grows for cyclists the show will be back next week once i've finished all my posts on the california classic We hope you've enjoyed the show, and if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.